Well, you don't know me, so I'm going to do something a bit different this morning. Take your Bible and turn to John chapter 3, if you will, please. John chapter 3. When God saved me in 1979, I knew the Bible had an Old and a New Testament, and I knew John 3.16. I don't know how I knew John 3.16, but I knew it. I didn't grow up in a church home. I can only remember a few times going to church my entire youth, maybe VBS. I went to a camp one time, got in a little trouble at the camp. Uh, so anyway, I don't know if I got barred or just didn't want to go back anymore, but I'll share some of my testimony as we get on through here. And I thought this might be a good way to introduce myself to this church and also to share the gospel, then also at the very end, make some strong applications that hopefully will revive our hearts uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter, I know you know the scripture. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that's you, me, or anybody else, that believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Father, my heart is so full. The worship has just stirred my heart and soul. Uh, the friendliness, the very fact that you're here, your spirit dwells in this place. It's hovering in this place, and we thank you for it. And I pray that you might fill me with your spirit. Anoint this word. I have nothing to say apart from that. And I pray that as we conclude things today, we could also it's been good to be in, in the house of the Lord today. Father, I love you because you first loved me. In Jesus' name, I pray these things, and for his sake, amen. I'm, I'm going to give you several little points to hang some truth on as we walk through this. This is a great verse. Many have said this is the greatest verse in the Bible. It's the gospel standing alone in one verse of Scripture. But there's some wonderful things. It really doesn't get any better than this. This is about as good as it gets when you're thinking about the Word of God. In John 3, 16, first of all, we see the richest possible mercy. God loving lost sinners. I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Before I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, injurious. But thank God I obtained mercy because I did it in ignorance and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was exceeding abundant with faith and love was in him. This is a faithful saying. It is worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. And the next verse, how it for this cause, I obtained mercy. Someone said mercy is God's attitude toward those in distress. You know anybody in distress? I may be speaking to some people right now that are in distress. You have family issues that are drive you crazy. Work issues. You're looking at the direction of our country, and I can't believe it. We're seeing some things now in our country that we used to say, wouldn't it be something if this happened someday? Well, it's happening. At a breakneck speed. I've been in about 30 different foreign countries And we're doing some things in this nation that breaks my heart that you see in third world countries. It's unbelievable stuff. When I look at my own life and I think about who I am, then I realize that God loves me. I stand amazed at that. I know who I am. I know where God found me. And then I think about, please don't be offended with this. It's simply the way it is. When I consider maybe the 
the scope of what might be involved in this church. I know you folks love the Lord. You're here. Uh, the Lord's Day, you've cleaned up nicely, you're smiling, you're worshiping, praise God. For, but, but, but within the confines of this group and this, this room today, the magnitude of potential sin is staggering. I think about this county, I don't know much about this county, but I know counties are counties wherever they might be in our nation today. All the horrific stuff going on, all the different abuses, all the different wickedness, it's, it's, it's crazy stuff. And then you think about Tennessee. By the way, I lived in Tennessee for three years in Chattanooga, Chattanooga Tennessee. I went to Tennessee Temple. Uh, by the way, now, Pastor, this is good right here. I lived on Hillcrest Avenue. You can't, you can't make this stuff up. Don't fight it. God's in this thing. Hillcrest Avenue. And uh, I, I just know this state's like every other state, good and bad. And then you think about our nation. The word of God says righteousness exalts a nation and sin is a reproach to people. The wicked shall be, be turned into hell and every nation that forgets God. We have forgotten God. We have turned our backs on God. We operate as, as if he doesn't even exist in our world today. And then I look at the whole world. I look at the massive, massive injustice in our world today. But then I think, but God loves you. And he loves this world. I, I love missions and missionaries. Uh, I've only pastored two churches. I pastored uh, Larue Baptist in central Kentucky for 10 years and three months. I went to Mountain Home, Arkansas, and was co-pastor of the church there for just about a year. And then on the east side of Raleigh for 27 years. Both those churches that I pastored, we had a real passion for souls and for the world. Uh, the last church that I pastored, we gave between 6 and $7 million above tithes and offerings to plant churches around the globe. We supported 400 and some, or 200 some missionaries, excuse me. And we, we just saw God do some mighty, mighty works in that place. The richest possible mercy, it's shown at the highest possible price. The gift of his only begotten son. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. I want you to think about this. The richest of the rich, the one that had everything and needed nothing, made himself of no reputation, took himself the form of a servant, made the likeness of sinful flesh, and he died for me and he died for you. I mean, you think about that. Greater love hath no man than this. He that spared not his own son, but delivered up for us all, how shall not with him also freely give us all things? It's also for the largest possible number. Whosoever. Now, I'm not a theologian, Pastor John. I've been on both sides of the whole thing. Uh, elect, non-elect, chosen. I get it. Here's what I know for sure. It is my responsibility to give the gospel to every single body that I can. That, that's my responsibility. It's God's responsibility to save them. I figured this thing out, Brother John. The whosoever wills are the elect. The whosoever wants are the non-elect. And that's it. I, I can't go beyond that. And, and, and so, but the, listen, if you'll ask God to save you, he will. Amen. And it's for the largest possible number, whosoever will, so they might not suffer the darkest possible doom. It's wrapped up in that world, perish, perish. 
Perish is kin to the words lost, estranged, marooned, abandoned. Uh, the mind says, you always have one more chance. I ran from God. Listen, my father became a Christian when I was 13. He was a former Marine. Uh, he didn't play around. <laughs> when he gave you the me now, that was the warning. When he said something, he meant it. The second time, the belt came off and judgment fell. That's just the way it was. I remember one time, my cousin from another county was over visiting with us in the summer. We weren't allowed to go to the river. I lived near a big river. It was about 700 foot across. Well, I had sneaked down there and learned how to swim a little bit. I was out in the middle of the river. <laughs> and I looked over and I saw my dad's car pull up. And I said, oh, my. I thought, I thought about going to the other side, but by the time I got over, he'd been over there anyway. So I just, he said, Mick, come on back. And I did. And I got on my bike and rode about two miles up, up the hollow where I lived. And uh, judgment fell for sure. He, he wore me out. I mean, he, he really did. But all my life, I, I went to church all through high school. I heard enough gospel to save the whole world. I fought it off. And by the way, church for us was non-negotiable. You want to live here? You want to eat here? Get in the car. We're going to church. Oh, you're sick? Did you throw up? No, sir. Get in the car. Are you sick? Yes, sir. Did you throw up? Yes, sir. You feel better? Get in the car. I mean, that's the way it was. And, and, and it worked. It didn't, it didn't hurt anything. I graduated from high school. I had a football scholarship. I played one year of college football. I got in trouble academically because I didn't understand they wanted me to play football and go to class. <laughs> I thought this was either or. And uh, anyway, you said, you said, well, you don't look big enough to play college. What I like in size, I made up in crazy. I love to hit. They put me in prison today the way I played because I, I, I led with my head. I, I liked it. I still like it. I still think I got one more hit of me. I couldn't play. I couldn't play a whole set of downs. Couldn't play a quarter for sure. No, couldn't play a game. But I got one more hit of me, Brother Terry. One more hit. I, I really do. But when you think about uh, the doom, we, we think somehow we got another chance. We got another chance. In verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Look at verse 36. He that believes not on the Son hath everlasting, or he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of Almighty God abides him. Can you imagine the wrath of God? I want you to think about the, the kindest, most gentle, soft-spoken person you've ever seen. They never get mad. And then one day you go by and you see them in their anger. They're, they're absolutely out of control. And you have to say, what made that person that way? One of these days, the wrath of God is going to be laid on this planet. And every, listen, I, I've seen these things on TV, and, and look, I'm not, I know there's, that's a first step, and you take another step. Have you seen the commercial, heaven or not? What do you mean heaven or not? It's heaven or hell. Uh, I had a missionary come to our church in Kentucky one time. He said, can I go out soul winning? I said, you sure can. He had a little gospel tract. And it said, heaven or hell. And he'd go to knock on somebody's door. He said, can I ask you a question? They said, well, sure. He'd just hold the track up, heaven or hell. 
That's it. That's it, folks. There aren't any intermediate places. There's heaven. There's hell. The wicked shall be turned into hell in every nation that forgets God. We won't suffer that dark possible doom, but we can have the greatest possible gift. Look at verse 15. It's in verse 15 and also verse 16. For whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. Verse 16, it uses the word but have everlasting life. Folks, it's hard to even fathom that. And it's on the easiest possible terms. Believing. It's faith. But to him that works not but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Oh, listen, does it get any easier than that? And listen, we have the best possible security. What is that? It's the word of God. Jesus said, verily, verily, truly, truly, I send to you, he that hears my word and believes on him that justifies the ungodly or the unrighteous, his faith is counted for righteousness. I like John chapter 10. That's one of my favorite passages, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them, he is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. We're in Christ. I mean, you couldn't get somebody out of there. Christ is in God. And Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14 says the whole proposition is sealed by the Spirit of God. You couldn't get out of there if you wanted to, but why would you want to? When I had to sit out a semester because of my lack of going to class when I was playing football, I got drafted. That's when Vietnam was going on. I know I don't look that old. I'm an old man. <laughs> no, I know I look old. I, I looked in the mirror today. And I said, man, I, you really are getting old, boy. I'll be 75 in June. But I want you to listen to me. I'm a young 75. I know some people got older in their 30s. I ain't one of them. I'm going to live until I die and preach till I can't. I, I, I'm going to about four or five different countries in the next six or eight months. I like doing it. And I went to Vietnam. I didn't go to Canada. I went to Vietnam. <laughs> I spent a year in the States and a year in Vietnam. I remember one time over there we got overrun with a regiment from North Vietnam. North Vietnam. Vietnam. And uh, man, I was scared that night. We had a thousand man force hit us. There was about 120 of us in this fire support base. They created a diversion on one side of the compound came over through another place. They blew up one side of an artillery compound. We had six 105 howitzers on this side and two bigger guns on the other side. And I remember praying, and I, I wasn't saved. I remember saying, Lord, uh, if you'll get me out of this thing, <laughs> I think I'm going to rethink everything as it relates to you. And uh, all night long, Airship Huey was shooting down. And it was, I mean, it was so scary. It wasn't like you're watching the movies in John Wayne or Clint Eastwood. This was, this was real. But the next day the sun came out, and I forgot all about my promise. 
I got out of the military. My commanding officer in Vietnam wanted me. He said, if you'll re-enlist for six years, stay over here with me for six more months, I'll make you a second lieutenant. They call it going from green to gold. Well, I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I thought about it, but I eventually got out and went back to where I was from in West Virginia. And uh, a few months after I got back, marijuana started coming around pretty strong. And I started smoking some of it. And let me say, I, I'm going to share my testimony, but I don't glory in this. I didn't even share it for a long time, but I was urged to do it. I glory in the Lord Jesus Christ and the grace of God. So I want you to know that and understand that. One of my, quote, friends came to me and said, well, we know what you're doing. Why don't you go ahead and get a quarter of a pound, make four ounces, sell three of them, get your money back, just sell them to your friends, get your money back, have a little gas money, have a free bag of pot. Well, sounded reasonable to me. And so I did it. But Brother David will tell you, I've always been sort of an entrepreneur. And so if, if I could do it with a quarter, one would it be like with a half? And then a pound. And then two pounds. And then five pounds. Long story short, over the course of the next couple of years, me and one of my partners, uh, we were doing about 90 pounds of Mexican pot every month or two. The area that I was from, there was a place that was almost like Little Italy. And there was a, a guy there, Sicilian Italian, that was the number two rocketeer in the state. And he approached me one day when I was in his restaurant. He said, I know what you're doing. I know what you're selling it for. Let's do business. And so we did. And I moved to another level. I moved to, I was doing about 220 or 30 pounds of Colombian pot in bales every 10 days to two weeks. At that same period of time, I worked for Union Carver. I had a really good job there. I started buying and selling real estate. When I was 27 years old, I bought and paid for 117 building lot in, in the settlements of Sunday of uh, Fayetteville, West Virginia. Making money. I was making a lot of illegal money. And, and Pastor, I thought I was slick because I'd take that illegal money and try to clean it up with property and different things like that. Well, I, I had my second nightclub, and it was a, it was a club where on the weekends, we would close down at 2.30, uh, turn the sign off, and the club was upstairs in the building. I was getting ready to buy the whole building, and we were going to put the, the pool room, big pool room back downstairs with gambling machines and poker, all kind of crazy stuff that we could get away with back then. And uh, after hours, we only had people up there that high rollers. Uh, so we had open blackjack. We had a lot, of, a lot of ways to make money. One particular night, we'd already made a pretty good lick, and then a couple of people came. Well, two guys that I know came in, and they had some party dolls with them, and they were showing off. And one of them was a bookie, a big-time bookie, and he, he dropped 8,800 cash that night. We'd already made a pretty good lick. And I remember going home that night. It was early the next morning. I'd built a pretty nice home. And I was sitting in front of a, a fireplace, and I had a cigarette box full of $100 bills. And I was thinking, where's the kick? <laughs> where's the deal that really would excite me? A few weeks after that, my uncle, my uncle Bill, 
one of 10 kids. He had led his whole family to the Lord. My dad wasn't saved at that time uh, when he first got, got back from living out of state. But he, one by one, led the whole family to the Lord. My dad was the last one that got saved. And he was riding up down in front of that club hoping to see me. And I had come down uh, to get some stuff on that lower level that we were storing to take back upstairs. I remember getting his car. And he said, Mick, I've seen how this ends. Every person I've ever known who's done what you're doing goes down hard. You can't take food off people's tables and clothes off children's backs with gambling money. You can't do that. And I listened to him kindly. And all that stuff began to roll in my mind. Well, things were progressing. And, and it went from just being something with kicks and having a good time and exciting. It became almost like a job. Because when I got that phone call, I had to, had to, I had to make the move. I had to go get it. I took responsibility for the load. My doorman in my nightclub his name was Tommy, and Tommy was an eighth grade black belt in karate. He was a year older than me. We played football together in high school. Just a great athlete, just a big personality. If Tommy, somebody would be getting out of line in the club, and Tommy would look over at me, and I'd, I'd go like that. Tommy would go over to him and say, hey, man, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're having a good time. And Mick's going to send you some drinks over, and I'd wave and smile. And he said, but would you do us a favor? I don't think you know it, but you're getting a little bit loud and people are looking at you. Now, anybody that knew him would immediately apologize and calm down. Every now and then, not very often, somebody wouldn't know him and they'd smart off. Next thing, they'd be at the bottom of the steps trying to figure out how they got there. Well, I made big money on the weekends after hours. We had it set up for me to go to Florida and meet with some young Italians and set up a deal to start getting a quarter of a ton of Colombian pot delivered at a time, 500 pounds. It was going to come at least once a month. And uh, it was one of those situations that if you got into it, you couldn't get out of it, except by losing your life. I've been up all weekend, and you know how it is if you've been up a couple days without sleeping. When you do finally go to sleep, you... The bottom falls out. You get real tired. And my wife, who didn't know all that I was doing for sure, she met me. We met at Daytona Beach. She had, we had some relatives that lived there then. And I was going to go from there on down to Lauderdale and make the deal within a day or two. And while I was sleeping, I got a phone call. The second or third time she tried to wake me up, I finally woke up, called the person back. And my doorman, Tommy, had been blown up. We think he was probably doing an insurance job for a little sideline and going to blow a house up or burn it down. And somehow he had it wet down. Somehow he had a device and he was going to detonate that device when a train came by at night over by a trestle, blow the horn several times, detonate the device. Somehow it went off prematurely with him being inside. It blew him out. He had third-degree burns on 95% of his body. They flew him to Pittsburgh to a burn unit. And that's when I got the call. The next day, I, I flew to Pittsburgh. I got to see him, and I was shocked. Uh, he, I had to put this isolation paraphernalia on all the stuff, one big suit, 
I went into a room, and he looked like the Incredible Hulk. He was swollen. He couldn't speak, but he could answer. I wasn't a Christian. I remember getting on this side of his bed after a few minutes and said, Tommy, if something happens, you don't make it. Are you all right? I don't know where that came from. He shook his head. I found out the next day that a chaplain in that hospital led him to Christ on his deathbed. Uh, the next day I went back to Western where I was from. My wife had come back by that point in time. I had about 30, 35 people working for me at that point doing a lot of different things. I didn't go to the club that night. The next day, I got a phone call and Tommy died. Well, that shook me. And uh, I just remember just hanging around the house all that day. That night, I was home. Ordinarily, I wouldn't have been there, but that night I was. And uh, this was back before you had the remote control. You know, you had to actually get up and go turn channels. And my oldest daughter, Tara, she was about four or five years, maybe four. And there was something on TV, and she was going to turn And Jack Van Impe came on. Y'all, anybody know Jack Van Impe, the walking Bible? He was doing a crusade in Detroit, Michigan. Ordinarily, I wouldn't have been there to watch it. Ordinarily, if I had been there, I wouldn't have watched it. But he came on, and my daughter was getting ready to turn the channel. I said, honey, Daddy wants to watch that. By the time that man got through preaching, I was so under conviction, I could barely breathe. I mean, I was, I was under the, I knew, I knew I was going to hell and deserved it. A couple of hours later, I was in my bedroom thinking about what a mess my life was in. Folks, listen, there's nothing wrong with having money, nothing wrong with making money, but it's wrong when money has you. And it dominated, it, it drove me. I, I, you know, I had this thing, I'd, I'd tell my, my buddies that I played ball with who came from wealthy families, yeah, your money was given to you, I'm going to make something, and I'm going to shoot right by you like you're sitting still. Just a bunch of arrogancy and pride and all of that. And I, I remember laying in my bed, and I was just talking. My wife came in, and I said, I told her how I was feeling. I said, you know, I'd like to talk to Dad. She said, why don't you give him a call? I said, it's too late. I'll, I'll call him tomorrow. She said, Mick, if you don't call him tonight, you might not ever call him. Right. Ten minutes later, I went to my office in my home, called. My mother answered the phone. She said, Mick, what's going on? About six months before, a man had got shot in my club. So getting a call late at night certainly put the fear in her. I said, Mom, everything's okay. I need to talk to Dad. My dad got on the phone. I said, Dad, I woke him up. I said, I need to talk to you. He said, son, what's it about? I said, I think you know what it's about. He came up that night. I lived maybe 10 or 15 minutes away, and I had built a house out in the field. And there was a, a drive, a, a little private drive, and I went by, and there was a place to park over here. And I saw him come. I saw the lights. So I was right on the top step, and he parked right there. I don't even know if he closed the door or not. And he came up. He was coming up those steps, and I said, Dad, I love you. He said, son, I love you, too. I've been praying for you. I said, Dad, I need to get saved. And he took me inside that night and led me to the Lord Jesus Christ. He prayed for me for 17 years. He never gave up on me. He loved me unconditionally. I broke his heart who knows how many times. My mother. I, wasn't, I mean, I was 30 years old. I, I was old enough to know better. I went back into the club one time, got rid of everything. A few months later, the pastor asked me to, to speak, and one thing led to another. Six months later, I was 
called to preach. I mean, it was just, it was so surreal. It's like God might save somebody like him, but he's going to do what? Mick Bullen's going to, he's going to preach? Has he lost his mind? Well, I had. <laughs> got a new mind. Got a different mind. A little bit after that, I led my younger brother to the Lord about six months later. But I had another brother. His name was Steve. Steve was a great athlete. He could take one skip step and throw a football 65, 70 yards in the air. He had a 97-mile-an-hour fastball playing American Legion ball when he was 15 years old. We won three straight state championships, one game from the World Series. So and he had three teams interested in signing him, L.A., Cincinnati, and the Mets. Real shy, though. First game he pitched in college, pitched a no-hitter, knocked two home runs in the same game. But he was resistant to the gospel. He had listened to you. Now, when I first got started, I had a zeal without knowledge. I didn't, I didn't handle it well. I thought since I got saved, everybody had to get saved. The light came on. Oh, don't you see? Don't you understand? Yeah, I see. I understand. I just don't want to do it. And through the years, Brother David remembers, we prayed for him everywhere I've ever been. There are hundreds and hundreds and probably thousands of people who prayed for him through the years. I mean, every church I've ever been, everywhere I ever went, if he wasn't saved, I'd say it right here today with you folks. Well, back last July, uh, he was diagnosed with cancer of his esophagus. He actually came down, stayed with me for a while. We got him into Duke. They took him back, started doing treatment in Charleston, West Virginia. I was on my way to Goldsboro one night from Raleigh to speak for Christian Powell. And my sister-in-law, his wife, called me and said, uh, we're at the cancer center, and he was having difficulty breathing, so they sent him across the street to the ER. They found blood clots in his lungs and leg, and they're preparing me for the fact that he's going to die, or he could die. So she was upset. And so I went to that church that night, and brother, I love what you did the first of the service, getting this order. <laughs> Man, that's cooking on the big burner with heat turned up right there, I can tell you that. And uh, we prayed that night for him. Early the next morning, I got in my car and drove straight to West Virginia, straight to the hospital. I, I played my pastor card, see if they'd let me in the intensive care. And eventually, the lady did about five minutes later. And I go to the room. He was in there by himself. His wife and my wife were out in the area waiting. And I walked in there. I said, Steve, how you doing, buddy? He said, what are you doing here? I was. I said, I came to see you. I said, Steve, I know how you are. You, you want to have everything figured out before you do anything. I said, I used to be the same way. I said, God has been patient with you. He's been long-suffering. He's been kind and merciful. Don't you think it's about time you got right with the Lord? He said, I'm ready right now. Amen. 61 years. Now, I tell that story for this reason. I use this passage for this reason. There are some of you in this room today that have children or grandchildren or parents or best friends. They're about to drive you crazy. They're living like hell. They're, they're going crazy. They don't want to have one single thing to do with, with the gospel or anything to do with church at all. 
and you, and you are about to give up on them, do not give up. As long as breath is in your lungs, as long as they're still breathing, you pray for them, you love them. Don't ever, ever, ever give up. 61 years. My dad used to pray. My dad could not pray for his three boys without weeping openly. He couldn't help it. My dad was a tough former Marine. But when, when he got saved, he lost half his vocabulary. because He went from a, a very tense kind of guy to a spirit-filled, I mean, just unbelievable. I thought, I thought what's going on here? I mean, when he first got saved, I said, I don't know about this. What's he doing? And he'd always pray. I saw that in your gym, Acts 16:31. He put that, and I have, he didn't believe in household salvation, but he just put it in there anyway. He said, Lord, I'm claiming my whole house. Amen. My daddy went to heaven in 05, my mama in, in, in 12, and my brother about a month and a half ago. I did his funeral. Seven people got saved at the funeral. One of them was the first cousin. I'm simply saying to you tonight, don't give up. Don't quit. I mean, keep on going. Do you, do you want to get real revival in your heart? Get a, if you don't have a burden, ask God to give you one. Get a burden that won't let you sleep at night, that won't let you rest until that, that son or daughter, oh, they've broken your heart. They've been in rehab. They've stolen. It doesn't matter what they've done. They're your child. You are their lifeline. Love on them. Pray for them. Don't ever give up. It's worth it. Why? Because of the mercy of God. God's attitude toward those in distress. Because of John 3, 16, because God loves them. You are that instrument that God's going to use. If you'll just let him use you, you'll be amazed what he might want to do in you and with you today. Let's pray.